like you have tons of good luck in, in you have something in spades you have it excessively i think is mm. what it means does it sound loud um a little bit yeah a little bit i guess I guess we're get, both getting better at talking clo- like I always have it loud in case we're like that, you know, but we've both gotten pretty good at talking really close to the microphone. So I probably shouldn't be chewing gum, but I also feel like it's a bonus episode. So anything goes and I'm going to do it. I'm going to live dangerously. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I guess I should start. Um, welcome back to, well, I guess not death by Southwest regular episodes, but death by Southwest bonus episode which is it is Sunday at 4 p.m. and we are recording this technically this should have come out yesterday so we're a little bit behind but it's been a crazy week and um, we are doing the best we can is that the goal for it to come out on Saturday goal is always Saturday Uh, you know depending on sometimes we can't record it until Saturday morning so then sometimes it doesn't happen until Sunday but um, for anyone listening you know, we edit these episodes, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but we do um, because it is so late and we'd like to get this bonus episode on Gary Triano part one um, published before Gary Triano part two comes out tomorrow. I don't think I'm going to really edit this. So I just want to put that in here. So anyone listening, you know, bear be, with us, bear with us. Yeah. And be, be, be mindful that this is pretty much going to be an unedited bonus episode. Um, and there's not a lot. We don't have a ton. Um, so, I mean, you wrote down, you had some great questions. I couldn't find a good handful of it. So we're going to go over the ones that we could find. And cool. uh, so this is this is bonus episode on, on Gary Trano part one, which part one, we never, I realized we never even got to the murder. Like it's it's an episode with no murder in it. Hmm. Yeah, we got to. Um, you yeah, know, what was kind of the end? Point? It was the we. You know, he divorced Mary Cram, married Mary. No, married Pam. Pam. Right, and then um, I think we got through. They got divorced. They split up. They got uh-huh. divorced, and then it was like a bad year for him. And he, right. he, he. Yeah, he was having a bad year, filed bankruptcy, et cetera. And then we started talking about Joseph Bonanno. Uh, and I think you kind of made it right up to when we're back at his birthday, yes. like when he went to play golf yep. at the La Paloma. Actually, the end of the episode, I remember it clearly because it was funny. Like I had written it and tried to make it very um, like cliffhangery. I wrote it, you know, I write these out first. So I wrote it like, so the question on everyone's mind was, was Joseph, did Gary make a good friend in Joseph Bonanno or a very dangerous enemy. And like, I was going to have it be like, mic drop, that's it. What did and, I say? Or both? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know myself You too said well. or both. And then I think I might have edited some of this out. So you said or both. And then I was like, yeah, or both. We talked for a few minutes. And then I kind of stayed it again. I'm like, so the question on everyone's mind, or or a very dangerous enemy, find out next time on Death by Southwest. And then you're like, or both. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's my middle name, Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. So, all right. So I did find, so there's a book written about about this called A Socialite Scorned. I, I talk about it in one of the episodes and I bought it and read it. And um, when I was looking up some of your questions today, for today, I 
went back to the book. And this was not a question, but I thought this would be interesting context because we talk about how Gary and Pam met. Like she saw him at a social event or something. And then I think I just said he quickly divorced his wife, but there was no specific time. Right. Yeah. So in the book, which, you know. Put the uh, link on the I should put it. I I don't know. The link on the thing. If you read um, the like foreword or letter from the author or whatever. Um, Oh yeah. Author's note. She says that, you know, she got access to write this book. She got access to all of the police files, all of the everything. And then also, yeah, she says my narrative is based on hundreds of hundreds of hours of research, public Mm. documents, trial accounts, interviews, and news sources. The dialogue included here and came from email correspondence between Ron Young and Pamela Phillips, recordings, police interviews, trial proceedings, police affidavits, court documents, and news accounts. Every attempt has been made to present the story in the order that it occurred. However, a few events are presented out of chronological sequence for easier reading, which is true. That was my hardest thing with this episode is that the timeline is so fucking crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. Right. Yeah. So well, um, that's interesting. So that's the author's foreword or whatever. Yeah. She says we should talk to her. Well, I mean, I guess the second part's coming out tomorrow, but still, that's cool. Yeah, it could be a cool bonus yeah. episode. And, you know, I'm going to go back to this, but she says many people facilitated this complex investigation, but Detective James Gamber assumed the lead um, and he is the central character in this story. Oh, I thought she also said something about how he provided her with like everything like I think yeah how did she get access um yeah oh she said aided in large part by the cooperation of the Pima County Sheriff's Department I had access to literally a warehouse of evidence the room was stacked from floor to ceiling with boxes of materials pertaining to the Triano investigation had graphic crime scene photographs hundreds of hours of interviews with potential suspects thousands of pages of police reports, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, I mean, did she just ask, say, I'm writing a book? I guess. I mean, that feels like we could just say, I'm r- totally doing a podcast. Absolutely. Oh, we totally could. And especially for something that's, I'm not sure exactly when this book came out, but, it, you know, the case was, was, was done. It came out in, mm, it says 2022. So quite recently, quite recently. Uh, so this was oh three no, um, uh-huh. originally published in 2012. Okay. So two decades later or yeah. something. So I mean, or a decade and a half, you know, it, so it's called, I'll just say it here. A socialite scorned, uh, the murder of a Tucson high roller, a socialite scorned by Carrie Drobin. Hmm. Yeah. So it's available on Kindle on Amazon. And, um, so I got, you know, I did get some information from this book, but um, something that I just, I don't know, I kind of came across it when I was doing this bonus research was this little excerpt that I wanted to read about Gary and Pam and how they kind of came to be, because it was pretty general in the episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So in this book, she says, this is directly from the book, um, And a few months later, in 1986, Gary ended his first marriage with a short phone call to his wife while she and their two children, Heather and Brian, vacationed in Europe. Although their their connection crackled, Gary's message reverberated loud and clear. He had found a distraction and was totally smitten by Pam. They had everything in common. 
not just potent sexual passion, but a real love, dot, 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 of money. Gary divorced huh. Mary quickly and without flair, generously deeding Mary his cemetery property, the Tucson Memorial Gardens, in their divorce settlement. Mary could not have realized at the time that the irony in Gary's gesture was that eventually she would bury his remains in that same Tucson Memorial Gardens. What does that mean? He offered her the deed to He his- gave, you know, he owned a bunch of uh, businesses around yeah. Tucson. And so when they got divorced, that was one of the businesses that he gave her. Oh, so he, like, re- he had a share or something in. He owned it. He owned Tucson Memorial, whatever. Gardens, yeah, a cemetery. He owned it outright and he wrote it over to her, gave it to her. And mm. I think, because I, I, not I think, I know, because I emailed him, his son, Brian, now runs it. Because when I was initially researching this, I emailed them and I emailed Brian to try and get a, a direct interview with him. I never heard back. Where is Tucson Memorial Gardens? Mm. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. Um, Wait, so, I have one more question about something yeah. you said. Uh, and now I can't recall what it was. Eh, we'll come back to it. Okay. Um, so that you didn't, that was just something I thought would be interesting, you know, a good little addition. Uh, you had said example of a Southern Belle wedding dress, which I will post. I have not actually posted, you know, sometimes I'll do a swipe through on Instagram with like pictures of the murders and the crime scene and this mm-hmm. and that. I haven't posted that yet for this one. I'll do that this week. But um, let's give, uh, we're talking about a Southern Belle wedding dress because that's what Pam war war when they got married on a boat or something yeah a yacht in san diego ah san diego san diego <laughs> yeah it um yeah i just i mean of course i've heard that before southern bell or southern bell just southern bell period southern bell dress or wedding dress i guess right. so but i don't actually know what that looks like to me in my mind it strikes as like prim and proper but i don't even know what that means um, or it looks like. I'm trying to see if I can find a definition. Uh, dresses that remind people of the South, timeless, elegant. Um, but I, f- basically what I'll post is a picture of uh, her, Pam her. Yeah, yeah. In, in her wedding gown. But I thought I would just show you a picture. So that oh, is, that's her. That's her and that's oh. Gary and that's their wedding. And so, you know, the sleeves are very like puffed up. Yeah, it looks like actually that's like an... Oh, no, it is puffed up. I was going to say, is it a little jacket? But That's it's not. not. You're right. Picture. Oh, Yeah, no, it's puffed yeah. up. Long sleeve, mm-hmm. V-neck, but modest. Mm-hmm. Lacy something. Bodice. Yeah, and then like poofy sleeves mm-hmm. from the... Shoulders. Yeah, mid-arm up. Mm-hmm. A hat. Ooh, a hat. that feels Southern. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's not quite like a Pearls. Kentucky Derby hat, but it's like a, um, a you know... Uh, a southern hat. Yeah. Kind of Kentucky Derby-ish. It feels like a fashion southern, or yeah. fashion Kentucky Derby hat. Yeah. Whatever. I don't even know what yeah. that means. So, um, but we'll we'll oh. post that, that picture for people to see. So, you also wrote, where did they honeymoon? I don't know, but in this, again, in this book, um, A Socialite Scorned, it, there is a in the chapter where she's talking about the authors talking about their wedding and stuff. And then she doesn't talk about where they honeymoon, but she does talk about how like their life started. They had matching Jaguars, this and that. And then there's this excerpt that I thought I would read a little bit from about how, and I cut this out of episode of part one, Uh. um, how 
Pam and Gary were friends with Donald Trump and Mar- Donald and Marla Trump. And Donald and Marla came to Tucson and Gary took them to U of A basketball game. And, Mm. you know, I had initially played you a clip, I think, when we recorded of like Pam talking about being friends with Trump Mm -hmm. and Marla. That he was funny and da-di-da-da. Yeah, she thought he was like the funniest person in the world. And So like the year, give me a a time frame. So they got married or they met in 86, something like that? Pam and... They were married in... That was your next question. What year did they marry? 86. Okay, okay. So... I just want to think about Trump during the 80s, I guess. Yeah, it was. So I'm, I'd imagine over the next few years that the first few years of their marriage yeah. were were good years. And that's when they were friends. You know, Gary was very wealthy and that's when they were friends with the Trumps. So I don't know if they actually honeymooned at Trump's Mar-a-Lago mm. place. I don't think so. But in the book... She says, um, Trump's mansion, situated between the ocean and Lake Worth, once rested on jungle-type undergrowth and swampy grounds before it evolved into the jewel of Palm Beach. The hurricane-resistant structures anchored by concrete, blah, 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 a perfectly landscaped lawn with sculptures of monkeys, parrots, and other assorted wildlife. And then she's describing a time when Pam and Gary were there with Trump and Marla. And what's it called? Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. And um, it says, Pam, wrapped in a gauzy white sundress and delicate straw hat, stood barefoot in the 75-foot tower that overlooked the main house, reminiscent of a Mediterranean villa. Lake wind smacked her cheeks, water lapped against the Dorian stone embedded with seashells and fossils imported from Genoa, 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 Italy. (laughs) I like it that way, Genoa. (laughs) That sounded ignorant. Genoa. Italy. Gary enlightened her. Oh, he told her that it was from Italy. Walls and arches. <laughs> Did he call it Genoa? <laughs> <laughs> Walls and arches encased her. The day fell around her like a fine mist. This one's kind of a good writer. Um, it's perfect here, isn't it? Said Marla to Pam, joining her in the tower, looking like Pam's twin. She squeezed Pam's elbow affectionately. Her skin glistened in the afterglow of seaweed and mud treatments from the Trump Spa. Blah, blah, blah. It just like goes on to describe like this whole trip when they were there. decadent. Very decadent. Um, Uh, There's a golf, Mar-a-Lago, isn't it? Like also mm -hmm. has like 18 holes of golf. Yep. And what's a 75 foot tower? I don't know. What does that mean? Looking into the main house from the tower? That's interesting. I guess. I've never seen pictures. We should look it up. I've never had any, I guess, curiosity about Mar-a-Lago. Me neither. Um... The next question was, when were tribes allowed to run their own casinos? So apparently in 1988, the U.S. Congress passed the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, which recognized gaming as a way to promote tribal economic development, self-sufficiency, and strong tribal government. Um, This act stated that uh, a state must permit Indians, I know that's not the proper term nowadays, but this is literally directly from this website, must permit Indians to run gaming on reservations if the state permits such gaming off reservation. Uh, it's a little bit confusing. Trying to so that, kind of depict this is a little confusing. That to me, what I heard is they're allowed. They'll allow them to have it on the reservation if it's also allowed and the, the and thus governed not by the reservation right individuals, but the greater state right. government. Um. 
a tribe that wants to engage in class three casino style gaming must first sign a tribal state gaming compact with the state where the casino would be located and requires a state to negotiate in good faith with the tribe seeking a compact. So some type of compact is needed. So in 1988, they passed this act, but it has a bunch of clauses in it, obviously. Um, It says that by the early 1990s, several Arizona tribes had installed slot machines in their casinos, even though none of them had compacts, you know, this compact agreeing to such and such. So the governor of Arizona at the time, whose name was apparently Fife Symington, Mm, said reservations should not have casinos because Arizona did not allow such gambling off reservation. Tribes countered that Arizona did permit such gambling by allowing state lotteries, dog and horse racing, charity bingo games. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of bingo. I mean, this was also, you're talking about the 80s, but still, yeah, I think about the horse races and there's a lot of bingo halls. So in May of 92, um, the... uh, NIGC, which stands for something that I don't National know. National Institute of Gambling. I don't know if that's true, that's but gaming something and something. Gaming, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, they issued rules clarifying that a tribe must have a compact before it can operate slot machines. Um, after these rules were announced, the Arizona governor called on the U.S. attorney in Phoenix to shut down casinos with slot machines. The FBI raided five Indian casinos and seized their slot machines. Um, yeah, it was like, it was a whole thing. So there was this kind of backdrop of legal challenges by both sides that continued for more than a decade. And Governor Symington signed Arizona's first set of compacts with 16 tribes from 1992 to 1994. And then the governor's successor, Jane Hull, signed a compact with the 17th tribe in 1998. And that's about as far down this hole I went in the research because it gets uh, boring. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all, what? It gets a little bit, um, it just gets, a, you know, complicated. there's a lot, yeah, complicated. There's a lot of language that I don't necessarily understand the compacts, this and mm-hmm. that and whatnot. But so, uh, you know, in this is all pertinent because in the episode we had talked about that Gary was making like $1.4, $1.8 million, something like that a year from these um, casinos and, and bingo halls and stuff that he helped these tribes uh start mm-hmm. because they weren't uh, legally allowed to on their own without i'm assuming um you know a non native american yeah, person a non-tribe or somebody, member a I non-tribe guess? member yeah exactly so and then once this passed which it sounds like in 1988 the, there was the first like effort to push. Yeah, yeah push, push but it took this. some it took some time so it sounds like it was from 1992 to 1994, which is exactly 93 is when Gary filed bankruptcy. So, Well, that makes sense. Also, it's interesting because uh, these tribes' reservations, yeah, the reservations, it's like a whole nother jurisdiction. Like mm-hmm. when I go up to the White Mountains and you're driving through, you pass through, I pass through a particular reservation, I can't recall which one. And it's like, well, you no longer have to watch out for like the Arizona Patrol, yep, Highway Patrol. Yeah. The, yep. There's a great show. I feel like I told you to watch it. Um, is it called, is it about the teenagers? No. Uh, it's about, I'm looking, I'm trying to look it up right now. And it has Lou Diamond Phillips in it, maybe, I think. Uh-huh. Um, oh, Reservation Dogs is the one you're thinking of with the, the teenagers. Yeah, I yep, kind of yep, like yep, that. Yep. Um this one is 
I feel like I just saw an episode of the Oh, Dark Winds. That's what oh. it's called. It's called Dark Winds. It's on AMC. And so one oh, season is out. That. It's really good. You would really really like it because it has a it's about um tribal police on yeah. Native American land, I believe in Nevada and Arizona. Oh. And um a lot of it happens kind of around Flagstaff. Oh, cool. And and there is a, a somewhat supernatural element to it. Not not so much that it turned me off because I don't like, you know, like I was just telling you like Fringe and uh, X-Files. Whatever all. Jameson was saying last night uh, about the... Oh, The Last of Us. Yeah. Or The End of Us or something. The Last of Us. Yeah, The Last of Us. Yeah, the zombie stuff. So it's not, it's not nearly like that. It's more um, has to do with kind of tribal and native american like um the the kind of mysticism or spirituality spirituality and, and things yeah. like that a little bit of maybe like magic-ish type things in there i like not, magic not like a magician with a top hat but you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's great you would really like it i well, think you would really like it It also makes me think of you know michael likes yellowstone a lot it's and, very much like that and but better there's to me sorry there's um you know tribal situations mm-hmm. and re- reservations. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's Lou Diamond Phillips, and I started watching that where it takes the new one where it takes place in Vegas, and they shoot someone in the first episode. Um, it uh, poker face. Yes, love it. I watched all four. He's episodes. not in that. No, that's okay. The the bodyguard guy. If you're thinking of him, that's Benjamin Bratt. That's right. Thank you. Yes, yeah. I do mix them up, which yeah. is odd. They look. They do look similar. You're not Benjamin wrong. Benjamin Bratt was in Bratt. Bratt. He was married to I think Julia Roberts. And wasn't he in like a CSI type show or a NYPD Blue type show? I think so. Okay. I think so. I think he maybe was in NYPD Blue. I never watched that, but I think you're right. I know. It's there's no rhyme or reason to that because that is if you like CSI or you like cop things. I like CSI, NCIS. Oh my gosh, you've never watched NYPD Blue? No, it's original. Actually, just started watching the other day Blue Bloods, but it's a little um, heartfelt for me. It's like a little like there's too much family story. Like I like Law and Order because it really keeps it to like (sighs) the crime. Shit. What? I was just gonna say, duh, NYPD Blue, where it does that. Dun, dun. No, that's on our. Thank you. Yeah. Where uh, each episode's a different right. crime. Yeah. Like yeah. Criminal Minds, I started rewatching Maybe I've that. never watched it in my PD Blue. It, Wait, is Benjamin Bratt in Law and Order? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, let's Whoa. move on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was a little sidebar there. So, okay, this was interesting. You had written down Mafia versus Mob, question mark. I am interested in that. Yeah. So... I, I, I did three different searches and okay. I found I found uh, essentially two different results. The first one is a very literal d- explanation. A mob is a large crowd of people, especially one that is disorderly and intent on causing trouble. The mafia is a type of organized crime syndicate whose primary activities are pro- are protecting racketeering, arbitrating disputes between criminals and brokering and enforcing illegal agreements and transactions. Fine. I know that's not what we meant by mob versus mafia. No. Okay. The next two answers I found, I think, sound reasonable to me. Now, I did find them on Quora or 
Quora or however you say mm-hmm. that website where you can ask questions and other people answer. Sure. But this one person on that website said, the mafia traditionally refers to ethnically Sicilian organized crime syndicates that are powerful in Sicily and Southern Italy. The term also was used to refer to Sicilian syndicates in the U.S. and became synonymous when referring to organized crime in America because the most powerful controlling crime syndicates were run by Sicilian immigrants uh, who came in the 1940s and 50s. Like Banana. Mm-hmm. He's a part of the mafia, not the mafia. Well, if he's Sicilian, I don't know. Okay, well, okay, let me back up then. Yeah. Mafia is what you're talking about, yes. Sicilian-based. And he must have... <laughs> I just dropped my gum. He must have been. I take that back because it says these U.S. syndicates themselves began referring to themselves as La Cosa Nostra. Well, there you go. Which uh, in English means this thing of ours to differentiate themselves from the original clans and families in Sicily as early as the 30s. The mob, on the other hand, this is still the same person. Um, is a slang term used to refer to organized crime in general, but usually means the most powerful groups, not street gangs or small operations. It is implied that when referring to the mob, one means a group like a mafia family or other syndicate with full control over a territory. Who it's referring to depends upon the context in which it's used. And the location. Yeah, because I think about like the... I don't know what <laughs> the something mob, you know, there can be mobs in different cities. Right. And I don't mean a mob of people. Yeah. The right. mob, the crime mob. Right. So then this was another response and I, and this is along the same lines, but so another person said the mafia in the United States was comprised of mostly Sicilian and Southern Italian bloodlines. The mob was a more broad distinction, a combination of ethnic figures, primarily Italian and Jewish that worked together. In other words, the mafia factions were also a part of the greater mob with other ethnic individuals. So, mm. you know, it's kind of like the mob is the, is the overarching umbrella, term. Yeah. yeah, the umbrella term. And then the mafia is these small groups, Sicilian, Northern Italy, mm. Jewish, whatever, underneath it that collectively are a mob if they're working together. Mm-hmm. I think, if I'm understanding that correctly. And, you know, these were people's... Opinions. I have no idea if they're correct or Which not. Which I think with this reasonable. one, yeah. it's good to hear I what, don't know. what other people yeah. think. Um, also, if the mob or mafia hears this, anyone from the mob or mafia, mm-hmm. email us. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, I guess that's true. I mean, we're honest- Sicilian and Jewish by that's heritage. What, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Honestly, if anyone should. I mean, I guess we could ask dad or Aunt Patty because realistically, if anyone was going to know about this, I feel like half of our family is Sicilian and straight from Italy and the other half is Jewish. So we should know this. I don't know if this is a thing, but I'm going to say straight from Sicily. Straight from Sicily. Yes. Not straight from Italy, even though Sicily's part of Italy. But it's I feel different. like don't the Very. don't most people want to disti- Sicilians want to distinguish themselves. And I think and non Sicilians yeah, yeah. don't want to be confused with being Sicilian. Yeah. From what I know understand, I've never been to Sicily. we still have family there, uh, that we've never met. So yeah. That that's all I gotta say about that. If you're listening to this, any family of ours in Sicily, let us know, like email us. We'd love to come visit. That's right. <laughs> Send uh, us a ticket. Yeah. Um, so uh, you had written down more about the home. I, I called Tucson the home of gun shop owners and morticians. And honestly, that came from 
one article in the Tucson Weekly, the writer said like included that in his article when talking about Tucson. And so I like just, if I look up Tucson it. and that nothing really comes up. So it's not like a known no. thing, but no, it's cool. And so, okay. So what do you morticians when, and who? Uh, gun shop owners and morticians. So if you uh. had to give your best, so basically I couldn't find uh, an actual answer. Why is it called that? Yeah. But if I know like what I would think, but like what would your best guess be? I don't know. There's a, there's a fair, I don't know a fair amount. I only live in Tucson, but like one of my places of work is right next to a gun shop. store mm-hmm. shop. So yeah, I mean, guns are legal. You can do concealed carry mm-hmm. there's there's lacks i don't want to say lacks but more than other states there are are, are guns are less stringent gun laws yep. here yeah and so I yeah i guess that's would be my part of the gun part and then morticians i don't know i really wish i had become a mortician I know. and then maybe i'd still want to live in tucson mm-hmm. because there's a lot of older people i don't know if it's actually more because the snowbirds are only here part of the year, but they tend to be older, elderly mm-hmm. individuals. A lot of people retire here in Tucson because yeah, it's, it's mild warm. weather. Yeah, well, mild most of the year, I guess. Um, that's what. Yeah, that's what I would think too. Morticians, because you know, be, because this is a, a common place to retire, and there are a lot of elderly. And there's people. a lot of funeral homes if you go downtown. There's a lot of and like maybe that's why there's a lot of, which could be one in the same one yeah. leads to the next sure. but yeah, yeah they're they're again i don't know any other cities but there's a fair amount of funeral homes hmm. yeah that's i mean that's my best guess so that's not really a fact a fact check. it's an opinion check there you go um so i have two more and one of them is a little boring-ish to me but I'm going to do it anyway so you had written down what requirements must be met to file bankruptcy and I'll be totally honest I there's a there's a lot of information on this give us Uh, a bullet I'm going to try so um in my initial search this is the first thing that came up I don't know if this is true because in then when I went a little deeper it seemed like it wasn't but First thing that I found said, you must have sufficient income to make monthly debt payments outlined in your bankruptcy plan. Your unsecured debts, such as credit cards and medical bills, must be less than $419,275. And your secured debt debts, like mortgage and car payments, must be less than $1.2 million. Damn it. We're so fucking close. Keep going. Okay. Or, I mean, it's they're coming. Should we just move into your yes. bedroom or the other bedroom? Whatever bedroom. Yes, the bedroom. Yeah, I'm not even going to Okay, sorry guys. We had a small venue change there because Mark and Michael just came back from the store. Getting chips. Yeah, getting chips and things at the store. So short venue change. Um, so we were talking about bankruptcy. So... I was saying you have to your your secured debts like mortgage and car payments have to be less than one point two million, which I have a lot of student debt. If your mortgage and car payments and stuff are more than one point two million. Think about owning a lot of properties. Oh, that's true. Okay. Also the four hundred and nineteen whatever is very specific for the unsecured. Four hundred and nineteen thousand two hundred and seventy five. Super specific. And yeah. actually the secured one is one million two hundred and fifty-seven thousand eight hundred and fifty. Very specific. So, I don't know if that's that. You know, when you search on Google 
and you don't even click on a website, but like a little paragraph comes up at the top. That's what came up. I don't know if that's true. Um, then I went a little bit deeper and it says to file for bankruptcy, you must meet a number of requirements that can vary based on the type of bankruptcy you're pursuing. Um, for example, bankruptcy filers need to complete credit counseling and meet certain income guidelines before being able to move forward. To move forward, there are two common types of individual bankruptcies: Chapter Seven and Chapter Thirteen. Mm. Chapter Seven involves wiping out various unsecured debts like credit card bills within several months. Chapter Thirteen has you repay your debts over a three to five year period. It's so. They just came, Michael and Mark just came home. So if you hear background noise, that's because that's them. And we're in the bedroom. So they're making recording. Noise. Yeah, they're not quiet individuals right now, at least. But Ever. we're almost done with this, so we're just going to power through. Should I go tell them to be quiet? <laughs> no, it's fine. Okay. Um, so I put the website in here because I could give a little bit more details about bankruptcy, but I feel like... Do people really want to know? Because if they're really doing it, they would, I will say. They won't rely on our content. <laughs> exactly. But, but it's just also like I said, when you said this is going to be one of the lookup things, mm -hmm. I said, well, it's good. Not that I actually need it right now, but like, it is good to have like a baseline knowledge of something. Yep. Just in case we're all, most of us, I imagine are adults. Yeah. Hopefully. Life would happens. Be inappropriate if yeah. they weren't. Uh, also, I, I, the only thing I know about the effect I'm sure there's multiple good, bad, or neutral effects, but when you file bankruptcy, it pretty much shits on your credit score. It does, but here's the interesting thing. So my friend, I won't say her name on here in case she doesn't want me to and she's listening, but my friend in Atlanta filed for bankruptcy a couple of years ago. Um, she really just had, she had some student loan debt, but she had some, she had, I, th I think, uh, high credit card debt. I want to say like, Twenty to thirty thousand dollars of credit card debt, maybe that that's she couldn't a fair pay. Amount, but it also doesn't seem like that that much, right? That's uh, what I think. But um, but she wasn't making enough money to be able to cover that. So she she did. She met with a count, the financial counselor. She ended up filing for bankruptcy. Um, I think she had some. You know, she owed money on her car and stuff. And I, I, this could be not totally accurate, but I I do believe she filed for bankruptcy. It did. It completely kind of wiped her credit like it was shit. But within two years, I think two years, honestly, she had built her credit back up. She had no debt and she ended up being able to buy a townhome. Is that what bankruptcy does? It basically removes your debt. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was thinking too. Let's say I have a bunch of debt. I'm thinking about bankruptcy, but I'm worried that's going to affect my credit score terribly mm -hmm. well also if i don't file bankruptcy and, and, you can't and i can't pay it's yeah same exactly. same it's but i did uh, i can't remember the exact situation but i know that at some point in the past few years i looked into it and there are a lot of requirements in yeah. terms of like you have to make this much and your debt has to be the you have to have an income to debt ratio of mm. something and you know there's there are requirements but if you can meet with somebody and do it like my credit's not great it's kind of like if i had i don't have major credit card debt but if i did i can understand the the appeal kind of 
you know, I've made her student loan debt. It doesn't necessarily always apply to student loans. I think there are like certain aspects. It's there's a lot of ins and outs of it. Click the link, right? I'll I'll put the link in the bonus episode um, notes. Okay, last one. How do you qualify as a UNESCO city of gastronomy? And in the episode, I had said that Tucson was the only one in the U.S. and there were 17 others in the world. And so you had written down, what are they? So the other cities. Right. Yeah. So first and foremost, I'm going to answer, how do you qualify as a UNESCO city of gastronomy? Apparently, you have to meet a number of criteria set by- Just like bankruptcy. That's right. <laughs> set by UNESCO. Um a well-developed gastronomy that is characteristic of the urban center and or region, a vibrant gastronomy community with numerous traditional restaurants and or chefs, indigenous ingredients used in traditional cooking, local know-how, traditional culinary practices and methods of cooking that have survived industrial technological advancement, traditional food markets and a traditional food industry, tradition of hosting gastronomic festivals, awards, and contests, respect for the environment and promotion of sustainable local products, and nurturing of public appreciation, promotion of nutrition in educational institutions, and inclusion of biodiversity conservation programs in cooking schools. Whoa, that was a lot. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, at least the first four before my brain kind of went off the line. <laughs> It's like, yeah, choose, and I see how that could meet that, 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 that. Also, that's a lot of things. It is. But, but they're also kind of general things where you exactly. could, like, say, like, look at this, that's and this sub- meets this. It's subjective. Yeah. It's subje- It's got to be subjective to whoever the people who work for UNESCO yeah, are. Yeah, like the board you know, yeah, who decide. Exactly. Um, so then I found... So basically, in the episode, remember I had said, Tucson's the only one in the U.S., there are 17 others. Well, I was wrong. And that will teach me to not refer on Wikipedia, even for opening segments, like really, fun Really, even facts. elevation and stuff. You're now I mean, wary. I'm a little wary. I actually think that I did, I got that information from like another website with like 10 things you have to know about Tucson. Well, listen to this. And they may got it from Wikipedia. Or... They were published in 2016, that that's, website. That's true. That's true. Or 2017 yeah, no, or 2016, whatever. That's know? right. So because since then, what I found, so I looked on Wikipedia first when I was researching this bonus, and Wikipedia told me there's 50 UNESCO cities of gastronomy and that there are two in the U.S., both founded in 2015. Then I went to the UNESCO website and found out that's, that's not true. Um, there are the UNESCO website says there's 36 cities worldwide, globally, yes, worldwide, and there there are two now in the U.S. Tucson was in 2015, and then San Antonio was in 2017. Texas, yes. wow, they're both southwestern cities. Yeah, and we did a San Antonio mm-hmm. one. Yeah, did we? Yeah, the Mariah Wilson mm-hmm. bicyclist. Ooh, I oh, that, that was Austin. Austin. Yeah, we haven't done San Antonio, have no. we? No, I don't think we have. You're right. Um, so, and then I did find this little blurb that is a nice overview. 12 countries have more than one designated city. China has five, if Macau is included. 
which we Have talked about. Have we been there? We've <laughs> not been there, but been there in the realm of lookups. Yes. When we did Vegas, we were talking about the biggest That's casinos right. or something like that. I think Macau has one. Hmm. Um, Brazil and Turkey both have four cities. Italy has three cities. And Australia, Colombia, Iran, Japan, Mexico, Spain, Thailand, and the U.S. all have two. Wow. There's some that I thought might, like, you know, Italy is a, a destination for delicious foods. Mm-hmm. And it's not on there. It is. There oh, are did I? Alba, not... Italy. Oh. Bergamo, Italy. Did you say Italy? Yeah, Italy. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's, but it's not one of the ones. Italy has three cities. Oh, okay, fine. Brazil and Turkey both have four. Turkey, interesting. Yeah, mm. so Alba, Italy, Bergamo, Italy, and Parma, Italy. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, uh, I won't even attempt to say the city in Turkey, but what's it look like? Oh, I want to Kar Hishar. Yeah, that, that might be right. <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh. Gaziantep, Hatay. Uh, so those are all in Turkey. Phuket, Thailand. I know uh, a lot of these cities I've never heard of, to be honest. I've never heard of most, most of, them, of them. Yeah, Panama City, Panama. Um, Norway's on there. I thought that was interesting. Where's Norway? Uh, Bergen, oh. Norway. Macau, China. Oh, yeah, Mexico, Sweden. South Africa, Brazil. Um, Ecuador, Iran. I mean, it runs, you know. Zali, Lebanon. Yeah. South Korea, India. Interesting. Yeah, everywhere. So, huh. and but this is the list from the actual website. This other list with all the little flaggies and stuff, that's from um, Wikipedia, which now I'm mm. not going to rely on. I don't believe it because it doesn't match up to this one, which is from, you know, the UNESCO website. So mm. that, um, that's it. That was the, that was the last one. That's all we got. I mean, you had a few other questions that I couldn't find, but we're not going to talk about those. And... Thanks. We wish you all well. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. This was, the, like I said, we're going to publish this real quick and not edit it much. So thanks for listening and apologies for the uneditedness. Uh, we hope you tune in tomorrow to Gary Trano Part 2. And then we will be back next week with a brand new case for you. So happy Sunday and we'll talk to you soon. Good luck with the Sunday scaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>